Hello, and welcome to Knoll Country for Old Men, a podcast about board games, tabletop role-playing games, and war games. I'm your host, Troy, pronouns he, him, and with me, as always, my co-host. In theory, you can call me Ed. That's what everybody else does. My pronouns are they and them. Yes, and in theory, today we will be talking about the Dungeons and Dragons class known as the Fighter. I'm a generic, lawful, good human fighter. Woo! Well, if they were in the original edition, they would be called the Fighting Men. That That's a slightly better name, but because it's 2022, we should go with Fighting Person or Fighting Them, in my case. Yeah, we, we could definitely go with that. Honestly, anything you can do to zhuzh up the fighter is a good idea. Stabbing men. The warrior. I feel we're going to have I fight, feel we're going to have widely differing opinions on the virtues of the fighter. I think that's quite likely. Hooray, introducing some conflict. Yeah, but before we get into our fighter fight, we have a segment we like to call the hobby segment. Yay. We're not good at coming up with segment names. We, we just really aren't. If we have enough segments, we could just call it the insect, because then we just need some legs. We already have four legs between us. We just need a third person on this podcast. We just call it the insect. Yeah, this podcast got legs, and they go all the way up to our abdomens. So, the hobby segment, where we talk about what we did last week in board game and game-related hobby stuff. I'll go first. Uh, did a little... Got together with some people, or got together with a friend of the podcast, and played some Keyforge, and played a teaching game of Star Wars Legion, where the victorious forces of the Galactic Empire showed those rebels what for, and brutally murdered Luke Skywalker. Good. Neoliberalism wins again. I don't think that it's the Empire. They are literally fascists. <laughs> I'm just trying to be a troll without knowing what I'm talking about. No, the the Republic in there the Clone go. Wars is neoliberal. Remember, that starts with a trade dispute. It's all about free trade. And then the Empire is full fascist, and the New Republic is not detailed enough in the like canon stuff for anyone to tell you what it is. Well, I'm assuming that since their capital planet got nuked in the very first movie that they showed up in, they're the uh, Star Wars equivalent of Joe Biden. Insert air horn. I would not know. I I mean, the capital planet got nuked, so I guess that makes them the Star Wars equivalent of Japan. Depend Depends on how militarized the New Republic was. I don't know. I know... Like, old Star Wars lore. I don't know new Star Wars lore. You hear that? We're old. We're still clinging to the expanded universe. Yeah, I can answer any question you want to know about the Rogue Squadron and Wraith Squadron series of books. But uh, if you want me to tell you what planet... Oh, okay, the New Republic capital planet was Hosin Prime. I remember that one. Damn it. But I'd, I'd have got no idea on, like, new Star Wars books and lore. So yeah, that was my weekend hobby. I played some Legion. I played some Keyforge. Um, did not paint anything. 
How about you? Did a surprising amount, which I am surprised by. Uh, played a lot of Magic via the arena game format, which for me, being able to play trading card games on my phone is probably the superior way to play. Just because I actually get to play games, even though I'm spending money on digital cards, the physical cards that I have tend to sit in a box and never actually get used. Uh, playing currently with a very broken deck that I'm very glad the computer is there to calculate all the math for me, because it wouldn't actually be very fun to constantly calculate how much life I'm gaining and how many 1 plus 1 tokens everything gets. But I've climbed high enough in the ladder now that I'm starting to get paired up against nerds who are a lot smarter than I am and can outplay my deck. So that gimmick may have run its course. Um, also did a demo of Dice Masters inspired by our previous episode about dice. It's like magic, but you roll dice instead of drawing for lands. It's pretty good. Um, I wanted to try and get into the competitive scene about five years ago when I bought this starter set, but my job at the time did not allow me basically any free time to myself, so that never happened. And then I've also been constructing and finally painting the last of my Infinity set, which has been a harrowing undertaking as I was bringing the last set back in from the porch after priming, I dropped one of them and she was reduced to her, her constituent atoms, oh, no. which was fun. And I can't overstate how much I hate the infinity, mo the infinity models. I wish they would just be plastic and, or if they're going to be as detailed as they want to be, just do the crisis protocol thing and go to 40 millimeter. It'll just make life so much easier because Right now, I feel like I'm painting a friggin' egg, just hoping I don't break it. I like them at that size, and I like how detailed they are, but I agree with you. They desperately need to be resin or plastic. That level of detail on metal miniatures that have, like, flimsy little bits sticking out is rough, and it makes it really hard to assemble them properly, um... The arms and stuff that you have to glue in are so tiny that pinning them is very, very hard, even with, like, jeweler's tools. And it's, like, not even that. They didn't... It's like they didn't even think out the process of how these models are going to go together, because in some cases there's absolutely no, like, tabs or slots or anything that's supposed to hold these together. So I don't know if when the engineers at Corvus Belli were putting these together if they were building them with the intent that they're using some kind of modeling epoxy to hold them together like I do because you will have an arm that's supposed to literally just attach to a flat surface that's made of metal and if you're trying to do that with super glue you're going to be sitting there for hours waiting for that glue to cure and it's a it's a bad time for everybody so that doesn't work so well with metal yeah I'm going to finish these. I don't know how much more Infinity I want to go into, which really sucks because in general, I like, I like the game and yeah, I like the weird anime aesthetic and I haven't found any kind of like alternative models that I want to use. And in theory, when the pandemic is over, I want to get into like some competitive Infinity, but there is a group for that locally. For that, you need the official models 
if you're going to a tournament, it's at least polite to show up with the actual models and not a bunch of proxies. So the whole thing, just I'll be glad when they're done. And that's been This Week in Hobby. So on to today's topic, the fighter. Fight, 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 fight. Uh, and since we are recording this in the evening, I guess that makes tonight fight night. Tonight is good for fighting. If you are listening to this podcast and it is not nighttime, then assume that it's nighttime somewhere on Earth. If you are listening to this podcast and you are not on Earth, how did you get this? Please come save us. If you're an alien race that is sufficiently advanced, please come save us. I am willing to embrace our alien overlords. I, for one, welcome our insect overlords. Too bad it's not a Friday night, because isn't the song Friday night is good for fighting? Or is it Saturday night? I don't know. I'm I'm not a fan of that particular artist. I don't know why I can't remember his name. Elton John. I'm not I'm not a music person. I listen to heavy metal and like pop music, and that's about it. I'm a I'm a weird person. Yeah, there's there's a song about Friday nights and there's a song about Saturday nights, and they're two different songs. And one of them is by Elton John. The weekends are for fighting. That's why we're playing Dungeons and Dragons. I'd say that's accurate, yeah. So, The Fighter. In the original edition of what would become Dungeons and Dragons, published in 1974, fighters were known as the fighting man, or fighting men. It was intended to cover all of the martial archetypes and was inspired by them, from knights to mercenaries, barbarians, swashbucklers, archers, so on and so forth. Their combat abilities were the strongest of all the original classes. They got the most hit points, they could use any armor, any weapon, but they were not able to use magic items other than weapons and armor, and had no spellcasting ability. I mean... At the time, the three classes were Fighter, Cleric, Wizard, so that kind of makes sense. It would kind of break things to have your fighter casting spells, unless that spell is sword. The fighters can cast sword, I guess they can cast arrow, and by cast I mean shoot an arrow. And one of the interesting things about these original fighters that held for a couple of editions was that at ninth level, they got a like title of nobility and became a baron. That's interesting. And they could build a castle and start to like generate tax income and employ retainers and minions and stuff. So it made a lot of sense for your party to have a fighter in it because he would basically build them a base of operations. They should bring that back. I like that idea. Unless you're about to tell me that it's already back in 5e. It's not, but that's because the notion of a party building its own thing has kind of been split off from the class. There are certainly things in the Dungeon Master's Guide and some of the other books that talk about rewards that you can give your party other than just money and experience. Titles of nobility, land grants, stuff like that are all covered in there. I guess other than money, experience, and magic items, which is what everyone wants. I don't care about the experience. Just give me the magic items. I need that sweet, sweet magic. Yes, I have players that ask for that kind of thing. In first edition, hit dice started to, like, spread out 
in that different classes would have different hit dice rather than just starting hit points or a certain number of d6s or whatever. And fighters got d10s, which was at the time the highest. Future editions continued this, except for 4th edition, which we'll get to. This edition also started to introduce subclasses for fighters that would eventually become full classes in their own right. The Ranger and Barbarian in 1st edition were subclasses of fighters. Most of their abilities remained the same as in OD&D, they just sort of adjusted it to the new thing. 2nd edition, same as the 1st. They got additional melee attacks per round at higher levels, along with a weapon specialization ability, and later books added class options including Amazon, Barbarian, Berserker, Cavalier, and Samurai. Some of these will show up again. 3 and 3.5 saw the first major change to the fighter, because the 3rd edition fighter is nothing like the 2nd edition fighter. It still has the d10 hit dice, it still has like good combat abilities, but all of its class abilities are that you get extra feats. Now, in 5th edition, feats are not as important, because you get either feats or statistic increases, but 3rd and 3.5 had feats as a basically an option to round out your character, to give them new abilities and stuff, and you had these big lists of feats that you would pick from and add to your character. So the fighter's thing was that all of their abilities were pick more feats. They didn't have anything special only to fighters. They could do a lot of things. You could specialize them in a number of ways. But the downside was any other class could also specialize in that way, just not quite as efficiently. Uh, Looking back on it, I don't think it's really that great. It's kind of boring, It and without access to, like, exotic splat books or prestige classes, fighters don't do much. Is that where the, the trope of the boring, lawful good human male fighter comes from? I think that came from the original game, honestly, because before the existence of paladins as a class, the fighter was kind of the knight role. So the human who is boring and upholds the knightly code of conduct was a fighter. 3 and 3.5 had a lot more options. You could make more more interesting like archery fighters or uh, polearm fighters. I seem to recall a whole thing about making a specific build using chain weapons and stuff that could trip enemies and trigger repeated attacks of opportunities and such. There were some interesting builds. I remember all that from 3.5, but it was like you had to have a lot of fancy stuff going on before you could actually do any of that. You just couldn't pick up a chain and be like, sweet, I'm the chain guy now. I mean, you could do it if you were in a chain gang, but that's about the only way. So 3.5 had some stuff, but it was all very like, go pick your feats and come back. And the class itself had no real abilities. Just feats that could be picked up by other classes as well. Looking back, I'm not a fan of that style of design. And apparently, neither were the game developers, because 4th edition was very different 
We've mentioned a few times before how much different 4th edition was from previous ones. For starters, you didn't get hit dice. 4th edition fighters started with 15 hit points plus their constitution modifier, and each level they gained an additional 6 plus their constitution modifier. No rolling for it. No dice involved at all. 4th edition fighters were martial defenders, in MMO terms, tanks. Their combat powers were known as exploits, and they provided opportunities and abilities unique to them, although they tended to do the same things as other classes, just in slightly different ways. A few of these abilities actually made the jump to 5th edition in various fashions. We'll talk about that when we get to the Battlemaster subclass, but also a couple of the things, the Second Wind and Action Surge abilities have more to do with 4th edition than they have to do with 3rd. I guess for once we have to say thank you, 4th edition. Yeah, I guess thanks, 4th edition, for trying to make the fighter interesting. It's like how without the the Wii U, we wouldn't have the Nintendo Switch. I mean, would we? Because we already had the Wii, and we already had, I guess, the Game Boy. Yeah, but they kind of built off the tablet idea, and they're like, hey, people like the idea that we have this tablet that goes with the system. Let's just do that. I suppose. And when you say we wouldn't have, you mean you wouldn't have, because I do not own a Switch. True. But I'd recommend it. It's fun. Video games aside, 5th edition fighters are the best at hitting things with a bit of metal and not getting hit back in return. Barbarians are the best at hitting things with a bit of metal and getting hit back in return, but fighters, eh, they wear armor most of the time. They get D10 hit dice, like they used to, plus they get a fighting style at first level to sort of define what sort of weapons you're going to specialize in, similar to the weapon specialization in previous ones, but it's a style thing where you can pick like defensive, where you get a bonus to your your armor class if you're wearing armor. You can get a archery one that gives you bonuses to hit and damage with archery. It helps define what sort of weapons your character is going to be using or how they're going to fight. They also get an ability called Second Wind that allows you to use a bonus action to heal yourself. This is very similar to the healing surges that were available to classes in 4th edition. I say they're the only class that has a non-magical like healing ability as an action, which is kind of interesting, and I don't mind it. It makes them much more durable in combat, especially at low levels. It's just a scratch. Yeah. And it plays into the notion that fourth ed- or that 5th edition combat is, in part, wearing down people's defenses and not just stabbing and cutting off limbs and stuff. That part of it is you hit somebody and they're, wound- and they're winded and their armor is messed up and then you hit them again and they actually get start bleeding or whatever. So some of it, you just sort of... No more one-hit KOs. As fighters level up, they get action surges, which is an ability that they can use a certain number of times to perform an additional action on their turn. And nicely enough, it does not specify what that additional action can be. For fighters, most of the time, it's going to be an extra attack. But you can also use it to dodge or run or hide or any other action that you might want to do on your turn. A lot of the other classes that have something similar, uh, the rogue's cunning action, for example, 
specifies that you can only use it for certain things. Uh, the Fighter Action Surge, while you can do it fewer times, can be used for, in a number of ways. Eventually, fighters get the ability to just re-roll failed saving throws a couple of times per day. Why not? Getting hit by a charging horse isn't going to knock them down if they don't want to be knocked down. And of course, like all the other classes in 5th edition, fighters are distinguished by subclasses called martial archetypes. At reaching 3rd level, players get to pick one. We're going to go through the ones that are available in the Player's Handbook, in Xanathar's Guide to Everything, and Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. There are a couple of specific ones that we're not going to talk about because we just don't have the books for them. And that's the Purple Dragon Knight, which is from the Sword Coast Guide, and the Echo Knight from the Explorer's Guide to Wildemount. Those are also kind of, I would say, setting-specific classes. So... We're just not going to talk about them. So the Player's Handbook introduces three martial archetypes for fighters. The first one is the Champion. Champions get a few basic abilities. They get better criticals, initially 19 to 20, but eventually 18 to 20, to see if you get a critical hit with something. Better skill checks for, like, physical abilities. Additional fighting styles and eventually a sort of low health regeneration that triggers when you're below half health. Champions are very much a straightforward stand-up-and-fight kind of fighter subclass, and they're great for people who don't want to have to keep track of complicated abilities. I just want to roll the dice. All you got to do is roll the dice and stab things and, you know, be good at that. You don't have to worry about triggering stuff off of dice. You don't have to worry about spells. You don't have to worry about a whole bunch of weird resources. You just got to stand there and stab things. Basically my high school play style. Yeah, you you rolled a lot more dice because you were doing two-weapon ranger in 3.5 when, oh my god, dual wielding was complicated. But Dual wielding flaming shimitars. Destroyer of all things. Yeah, that time that you started rolling all 20s was just insane. So champions are there. They are what the generic human fighter is in 5th uh, edition. Your generic human fighter that is boring would probably be a champion. But they're fine to play if you don't want to have to deal with anything complicated. Now, of the original three, the second one is the Battlemaster. And the Battlemaster is my personal favorite. They are also the closest to the 4th edition fighter, for some. So, you know. They gain maneuvers and superiority dice that can be spent to perform the maneuvers. These things range from disarming to trip attacks, parry, evasion, knocking an opponent away, pulling them towards you. They have an interesting, more actively tactical combat element to them. They kind of represent the very experienced warrior who uses everything available to their advantage on the battlefield. I think they're cool and fun and give you a lot of things to do. They have a number of different maneuvers, and Tasha's Cauldron of Everything adds a few more, and also has a great section about how to build different types of fighters from Battlemasters. 
whether it's someone who's good at unarmed combat or someone who's a good archer or someone who's, uh, you know, specializes in different things. They are very versatile. And the last one in the player's handbook is the Eldritch Knight, because unlike first edition, fighters can cast spells sometimes. Eldritch Knights are intelligence-based casters, like wizards and artificers. They don't learn a lot of spells, uh, nothing over fourth level, and only like a dozen, even at ma- uh, even when they're at their peak. Uh, they do get some cool abilities to cast attack spells when they're making attacks. They can like summon weapons to them, and they can teleport when they use their action search ability a couple of times per day, which is kind of cool. Hey, he's not supposed to be doing that. Well, if he's an Eldritch Knight, he is. Eldritch Knights provide, you know, kind of the heavy armored magic guys. And they're good at it. Xanathar's Guide to Everything adds three, what I'm going to say are classic subclasses. The thing is, one of them wasn't really a fighter subclass in previous editions. And that's the one we're talking about right now, which is Arcane Archer. So Arcane Archer is magic arrows. You get to generate special magic arrows that have a variety of effects. You get to pick them. You get better archery stuff. In previous editions, Arcane Archer was a prestige class. In 3rd and 3.5 specifically. And it required characters to be elves or half-elves and already know magic. Something that kind of made it a ranger specialization most of the time, and not a fighter one. Ed, do you remember any of that? I think we had an arcane archer in at least one of our games. I think Celia may have been an arcane archer. I can't remember. I just remember she shot a lot of arrows. It does sound like the kind of fighter class that I would make. I generally avoid fighters like the plague because I think they're kind of boring. But Arcane Archer is definitely the kind of fighter that I would make. Yeah, and it's one of the things where fighters don't have to be stand and stab people. They can be very, very good at bows. If they take this subclass, they can be better at bows than rangers are, which is kind of different from traditional D&D editions. The next one in Xanathar's is the Cavalier, which specializes in fighting on horseback or on the back of something. I don't know what people ride in homebrew settings. In Eberron, they can ride dinosaurs, which is yet another reason that people should go look at the Eberron setting. I don't think I've ever been involved in a game that involved any characters on some kind of mount, and it sounds like a pain in the ass to try and corral, no pun intended. I ran as a Cavalier fighter briefly in a 3.5 game in college that I was told was going to be like, starting in a war and i was like oh cool i'll make my character like special a rogue slash fighter cavalier and then it turned out to have nothing to do with a war and just was more of like a standard dungeon crawl thing and i talked to the dm and he's like oh yeah oops my bad and so i ended up switching to rogue assassin and just ditching all of the cavalier elements because it made no sense and didn't even fit with the game just make up some story about why you had to kill and eat your mount. No, but he did have the great element where he, um, the the group got captured and he basically l- swapped uniforms with a enemy soldier that had been they had killed on the way into the place, 
and then convinced the troops that showed up that he was working with them. He had helped them capture the rest of the party. Absolutely nothing to see here. Everything's fine. How are you? Well, which made it very easy to break them out as he just walked down there later that day and took out the guards and let people out instead of having to, like, sneak out of the prison or something. Walking out the front door sounds pretty easy. High bluff skills on that character. So, Cavaliers, you're good on horseback. You get some specializations with opportunity attacks and cool ability defensive abilities and sort of a mark challenge thing to help someone fight you in honorable one-on-one combat, which I kind of understand, but it feels like maybe that would be better in a like duelist rather than a cavalier thing. I don't know. I didn't design this game. Uh, the next one, Xanathar's includes, is the Samurai, uh, which has a fighting spirit ability that, that gives you advantage on an attack as a bonus action and also gives you temporary hit points at the same time. Uh, it gets some skill improvements and proficiency in wisdom saving throws. And at higher levels, you can spend advantage on an attack to roll the attack a, to attack a second time. So instead of rolling two dice on one attack, you split that into two attacks. At the very peak, it gets a cool ability where if you are knocked unconscious, rather than going unconscious, you can take an extra turn. Uh, while still at zero hit points. I recommend using the bonus turn to write your write a haiku or something. If you uh, if you fail two of your death saving throws, do you get any any bonuses for writing a death poem? No, and you could still take death saving throws on that bonus turn if you're conscious and at zero hit points. So uh, don't get hurt because you you will just get killed then but i think the samurai is interesting i think its abilities are another cool kind of trick for how fighters can do more stuff and then we get to some of the weird ones tasha's cauldron of everything only includes two subclasses and they are the psi warrior and the rune knight so the psi warrior is the first of the psionic subclasses we've talked about in previous editions of Dungeons and Dragons, there were whole books, flat books, dedicated to psionics exclusively. I completely forgot psionics were a thing. They were definitely a thing. And in the Dark Sun campaign, that setting that we love so much, they were as prevalent as magic. No one brings that up anymore. Mind magic. But in previous editions, psionics was a whole new thing. In 5th edition... Psionics are just treated as subclasses of existing ones. So we have the Psy Warrior, there's a like Psychic Monk, there's an Aberrant Mind Sorcerer. And I kind of dig it, because the way Psionics was laid out in previous editions was a lot of extra work. For the player and for the person running the game. With this, uh, the Psy Warrior is a fighter that has psionic energy dice that can be used to activate certain powers, protection, damage, telekinesis, and gets resistance to psychic damage and some cool, like, psychic abilities. You're still a fighter, you just have mind bullets. Seems fun, right? Yeah, I can't really think of another class that would really 
kind of fit that type of character in, because every other character that has some kind of mystical power, they're already kind of accounted for, and adding in psychic power is just kind of seems redundant, but fighter seems like a good place for it to land. Well, that's the thing. The fighter gets the psychic warrior, which represents the person who has psychic powers and, like, wields a sword and a shield and uses psychic powers with that. The sorcerer gets a version that is a sorcerer, but their powers are psychic instead of magic. Huh. The rogue, I think, gets the soul knife, which is the, like, assassin psychic power person. And then the monk gets, uh, like, way of the astral self, I want to say. Which is psychic powers, but you punch people. <laughs> psychic punching. So they split the different types of psychic character into subclasses of existing things, rather than creating a brand new, like, scion class, and then having to come up with a bunch of subclasses for it. Yeah, I like that idea better. Yeah, I feel like it, it works better than the previous editions, because you don't have to create a whole new class, you just give out the, the abilities you like to existing classes. And then the last one we're going to cover is the Rune Knight. This is an interesting one, because who doesn't like magic runes? In this class, you get access to a number of magic runes, and they theoretically come from the giants, that can be added to your equipment to give you abilities related to, you know, the type of giant. You can redirect attacks, add fiery chains to a successful attack, boost your strength and constitution, charm and stun enemies, get resistance to damage, or create like an area of effect of advantage-disadvantage. You can also draw on the might of giants for an effect that's basically the enlarged spell that makes you big and makes your attacks do more damage. Um, at higher levels, you get runic shields, more options for what runes you get, and you can use them more times. It's a interesting class. I hadn't really thought about it until I started doing the research for this. It's not one that I would use in my games. I don't know what I do to build a fighter for it, but I feel like there's enough there and enough sort of interesting magical enhancements there to build something that people would enjoy. Or if you're a hill giant rune knight, something that people would not enjoy. Well, one of them is like the hill rune. And I believe that's the one that gives you resistance to damage. And I don't I don't think I have any more jokes about the hill giants. So one of our one of the friends of the podcast mentioned to me that we kept doing a thing where we would say, oh yeah, this would be perfect for a Modron character in this class. So which of these subclasses would you make a Modron fighter? Hmm, that's a tough choice. The choices are Champion, Battlemaster, Eldritch Knight, Cavalier, Samurai, Arcane Archer, Psy Warrior, and Rune Knight. Battlemaster kind of seems like where a Modron would naturally fit if they're like used to being organized and planning things. I don't know. I feel like Battlemaster relies a lot on like creativity in battle yeah because it's you know you use these things to do sort of unconventional combat tactics i think a modron samurai could also be kind of humorous i do think a modron samurai with a strict code of honor or who only talks in haiku or something would be entertaining 
Although I guess with like how how lawful they are, that's just kind of like the stereotypical samurai. Not mu- not as much of a joke as I thought it was going to be. That is true. The Modron uh, Rune Knight could also be interesting if you treated it as being less giants and more like mechanistic runes, maybe closer to a artificer where they are like tinkering with their equipment to do these specific effects. It's all just binary. Their their stuff is just covered in ones and zeros. Yeah, it's it's a binary runes or something like that. Get, do the same effects, but just kind of ignore the giant aspects of it. I I would do that for a Modron thing, I think. Rune Knight Modron stomping across the battlefield with their weird, tiny, like, pipe legs, wielding a giant hammer. That would be fun. So that's the fighter in 5th edition. Surprisingly, I don't have many jokes related to fighters. That's because fighters aren't funny. Insert your own joke, because I'm too lazy to be funny this week. Fighters. They're good at fighting. It's They do what it says on the tin. And in this case, the tin is a suit of plate mail armor. So, on this podcast, we have a segment that we have named, again, poorly, the board game segment, or board game corner. Yep. Where we talk about a board game that we've played, that we enjoy... Or, I guess, that we don't enjoy sometimes. But we talk about a board game that we've played and tell you a little about it and if we think you should play it. And today, we're going to talk about Steampunk Rally. Uh, The original Steampunk Rally came out in 2005. A new edition came out last year, 2021. So it's available in game stores now. Yay. It's a very interesting game in my mind it's got some of the coolest and most unique mechanics i've found in board games because it combines a not really deck building but it combines a card thing and a dice thing and it's a racing game with like a damage tracker it's an engine builder where you're literally building some kind of engine for racing with yes it's an engine builder using a like drafting card mechanic and it also has a dice mechanic that's very intricate. The core premise of the game is that you play as one of a number of steampunk inventors who have been brought together by Nikola Tesla to have a sweet race and to build a sweet steampunk racing machine. The selection of inventors is all real-world people. And it's not always the people you might expect. Uh, it includes Ada Lovelace, who is a robot. Uh, Albert Einstein. Ferdinand von Zeppelin. For the win. George Washington Carver. The Wright Brothers. Margaret Knight, who was a... Uh, uh, no, American or British engineer who had like 80 patents. Um... It's a whole bunch of people, historical figures, and not just the ones you might expect. So it does a good job of pulling up interesting historical figures and giving you a little bit of detail about them. Pull cards, you build your racing machines using these cards that kind of link together, and then you take dice, roll them, and then place them on the cards uh, in various positions. The cards kind of 
explain how this works. You place them there to power your machines, and then the machines move forward and take damage and fall apart and get more intricate or less intricate. It has a lot of cool overlapping mechanics. It has a load of dice. There's like 100 dice in the core box. That's a lot of D6s. Yeah, all D6s in a couple of different colors. The sequel has some additional things going on because it's called Steampunk Fusion and it has like a time machine aspect and fusion power and it may or may not take place on Mars. In any case, it's a fun game. It uses some cool mechanics and I just very much enjoy it, even though I don't think I've ever won a game. I tend to build small, nimble machines, and they get outpaced by people who build giant rattling contraptions that, like, lumber forward for 20 rounds. Which is exactly how I play. I like I like the feeling of that you're building something that's just barely holding it together and, you know, the wrong roll or the wrong choice of cards... It's just going to bring the whole thing crashing down. It's good fun. It, it's good fun. Yeah, I highly recommend it. Um, if you can find it at your local game store, I would say go for it. Uh, you might even be able to find a used copy of the original. If your local game store sells used games. Did it really come out in 2005? I think so. Or it might have been 2015. 2015. That's it. Not 2005. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't think it was quite that old, but just to be just to be sure. Yeah, the original one was 2015. May or may not be available in your local game store. I have not seen it in mine for a while until the sequel came out. The sequel is standalone, and the deluxe edition of the sequel does include the original game as well. So if you want all the things, buy the deluxe edition. If you just want the sequel, just get the sequel. It's fun. The artwork is good. It's very sort of cartoonish technology stuff going on. Um, who doesn't want to build a giant racing machine powered by arachno legs? People who hate fun, obviously. Yeah, people who hate fun. And you know what we say to those people? Get out of here. Go back to playing Warhammer 40k. Oh! Yeah. Uh, I I don't have a whole lot of fun playing 40k, unless it's Kill Team. I've never actually played a game of Kill Team, in part because traditionally the Tau have been really bad at Kill Team, due to the way that their stuff works. I don't know if that's the case in the current editions, because I'm not giving Games Workshop my money for just about anything. I don't know either, because they kind of half-assed how they're dealing with the other races that are not Imperial Guard or Orcs in the new rollout for Kill Team 2020, or I guess 2021. Uh, but their new box set has Tau versus uh, Sisters of Battle, so I'm assuming that they're up to something. It's a Games Workshop box, though, so one of the sides is almost certainly overmatched. And I would guess that it's the aliens, because that's usually how they are. If you remember some of the old ones, the the 
old box set with the Ultramarines versus Orcs that I think you may have had. Uh, mine was Marines versus uh, Tyranids. I remember, yeah, there was a Marines Tyranids one and a Marines Orcs one and... Oh, it was Dark Angels versus Orcs. Yeah, in both of those, the Marines are substantially better off than the Orcs. Well, yeah, because they're Space Marines. It's the whole GW brand. Well, I mean, just in terms of what you get in the box. Like, the amount of Space Marines you get in the box versus the amount of Orcs you get in the box is... The Space Marine player is going to win most games. I've heard a similar thing for something they some new box that has the adeptus custodes versus gene stealer cults uh, i think that was the original reboot of kill team back in like 2016 i think yeah I, I thought it was something newer than that but in any case the custodes player is heavily favored games workshop what's wrong with you why do you make and sell nine different ranges of Space Marines and only two ranges of Imperial Guard? Do the lives of the Imperial Guardsmen mean nothing to you? No, they don't. That's why they're Imperial Guard. Yeah, but, like, give me some cool regiments. What happened to the Valhallans and the Volstroyans and the... I mean, I guess Death Corps of Krieg you can get from Forge World if you want to spend all of your money on them. They've all just been absorbed into the Cadian regiments. Ugh. Just give me some cool, interesting regiments and no more Cadians. I mean, you can still make them, but there's so many other cool regiments that they just stopped making so that they could churn out five new types of Space Marine. Because everybody wants to play the Space Marines because they're ridiculously overpowered. I don't want to play the Space Marines. The only Imperial Army I'm interested in is Imperial Guard. Also, stop calling them the Astra Militarum or whatever nonsense pseudo-Latin you're coming up with. I know why you're doing it. But you can't copyright Imperial Guard. Yeah, that's. I know that's why they're doing it, but they're the Imperial Guard, goddammit. And in the grim darkness of the far future, there is only copyright infringement. <laughs> I like that. That's a good one. Thanks for listening to us rant about a game we don't actually play. Yay. Thanks for listening to us talk about fighters in Dungeons and Dragons. Now go go start some fights. Do not start fights. Any commercials you want to do, Ed? Uh, if you want to watch me start fights on Twitter, you can follow us at Null Country on the, on the Bird website. Uh, you can also follow my various shenanigans on Instagram at Animadness. A-N-A, Madness. Um, you can follow the podcast account on Instagram as well, although it's much more boring than his account, because mostly I just post the podcast. Uh, join your union. That's, I, I don't have much commercials. Join union, follow us on social media. Um, next week, the topic is... Something. To be decided. We'll, we'll, we'll think of something. So yeah, until then... Keep rolling sixes. Maybe not, if you're rolling a d20.
It's going to start bringing D20s into 40K. Until next week, thanks for listening, and don't play 40K.